You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Let's give a round of applause for the band and the brothers and sisters singing to the Lord this morning, or this afternoon rather. I, uh, I'm excited to be at church today. I don't know about you. I'm always excited to come to be with the family of God. And uh, that's what we are. We, we are an army, but we are a family. And uh, as family, we, we believe in the Holy Bible. And uh, we love the Bible. I mean, we don't just read about it. We want to do what's in it. Uh, so if you could all stand on up at this particular time. Go ahead and stand on up. We're going to do this sermon today exactly the way they did. Go ahead, everybody, stand on up. You just said amen. You said you believe in the Bible. So uh, we're going to stand on up. So today's sermon is going to be, we're going to go through it standing on up. Uh, If you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. I I can see some faces out there. You're not all that fired up. You know, Kari just got through singing the joy of the Lord rise amongst you. Now, I just called you to rise, and I hope it didn't steal your joy right there. I mean, you could stand through a 30, 40, 50, maybe even a two-hour sermon. I mean, that's just what you are as a Christian, right? I mean, this isn't a cultural thing at all. It's a Christian thing, right? I'm kidding you. Go ahead. Have a seat. Have a seat. Let's go to God in prayer. (laughs) Father God, thank you so much for the way you lead us. Thank you so much for the word of God, the instruction, Father, the Bible. Thank you for the basic instruction before leaving earth, Father. We are so excited about your word. We love the prophets, the men, the women in the Bible that give us the hope, the faith that we have today. Father, thank you for allowing us to know that we can fail, but we can fail forward as long as we fail forward as Christians. Father, help us to be disciples that love your word. I pray, Father, you touch somebody today. Move me out of the way, Father. I don't know what to say. I just want to say what you want me to say. Father, talk to your people. Grab your children, Father. Speak to them. Minister to them this afternoon. We love you more than life itself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll try to close out Nehemiah today. If you're visiting with us, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And of course the word Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. So I pray you find some comfort in the word of God today. Last week's sermon was entitled, Repent, Run, or Persecute. And it literally was that simply because that pretty much is the, 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 that's where the people were at. They either had a chance to repent, run, or, or there were persecutors that came against the church. Tobiah, the Ammonite, uh, Sanballat. These were people that were critical of God's people and what God was trying to do in the city. And yet we understand that principle that plays out in our life. That when we really don't want to do the will of God, we can run from God. And there are stories like Jonah. We, 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 could, we, could, we, could, we could even become persecutors ourselves. Maybe not negatively saying things about the kingdom, the church, but we can persecute Jesus with our lifestyle. Uh, Paul was persecuting disciples and persecuting Jesus by his lifestyle. And yet the only, only option for a true man or woman of God is to repent. And so that's what we talked about last week. That's what made Nehemiah special. He called the people to repent. And I I 
put before you that he did all of those things and he let nothing steal his joy, which is the title of the lesson today. Let nothing steal your joy. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. I mean, the, the walls get built and inside they all come together unified at the water gate right there. It's so awesome when God's people can come together unified. If you notice in the room, we have individuals that are, are, are Londoners. We have individuals that are English. We have Nigerian. We have we have the Dutch. We have, we have Spanish. You even, sadly, you even got some Americans in the fellowship. And let me tell you something. We've all come together today as one man for the glory of God. Are you with me there? See, if we all had a fist, that'd be a multicolored fist right there. You know, you have, you know, you kind of the white, and the, yeah, I won't go into it. Okay, let's keep, get back into the word of God. Okay, verse two. So, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. I mean, he brings the Bible on out, which was made up of men and women. See, the assembly is made up of men and women. And the women said, okay, there we go. All who were able to understand, he read it aloud from daybreak. That's probably about 536 o'clock in the morning till noon. That's a six hour sermon. He didn't give any clever illustrations. He didn't give any awesome icebreakers. He didn't give any cool stories to captivate your attention. He read the Bible. And the people were focused for five, six hours. They wanted to hear what God had to say to them. That's that's the kind of congregation that God called his people. Anyone who's not like that, you may not be God's people. Cool thing is he wants you to be if you're here today. And then he goes on and the Bible just says they were at the water gate. It says in the presence of the men and the women, others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform. I love standing on up here right here. You know, I'm almost as tall as Michael Hart standing up here. Gives me a little security in the Lord right there. Says he stood on that high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Matthiah, Shema, Anna, Uriah, Hilkai, Masiah. And on his left were Pedai, Mashiach, Makali, Hashem, and some other names. We probably won't name our kids. But these guys made the Bible. They're pretty awesome. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it. The people all stood up. I mean, they all stood on up to hear the word of God. Amen. You, you got to understand what's going on. These, these weren't, these were not westernized. I got my iPhone, iPad, laptop, Karen, night. I mean, these were Israel. These were people that did not, could not afford the, the, the scrolls. They, they, they couldn't afford to have their own. But it was a very, it was seen as a special thing to be able to have your own scroll. You had to have money to have your own scroll. Can you imagine going an entire week? With no Bible. And then you come to worship the almighty God. You'd be standing waiting to hear what God had to say to you. So the people stood up. Says Ezra praise the Lord. The great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. See, amen, amen, it's not just for, for churches that teach uh, false teaching and put their hands in the air. It's for Christians. Christians can put their hands in the air right there. You can, dare we say, you can put your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. But we do care. We care about the will of God. It says, then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherbai, Janai, Akub, Jabez, Hodai, Masai, Kelite, Azariah, Jojeb. The other few names that are there. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. I mean, he just gives expository preaching right here. I'm not talking about where you come up with some clever thing right here. He just said what the Bible said, read it, and then explained it. Yes. And yet we can actually, we, we should be grateful that we are a Bible church. That's why we're going through the book of Nehemiah. Because it, it, it's one thing to preach topical. It's another thing to preach expository. Where you lay out what God says and you just, you just lay it on out. You don't come up with what it says. You just, you just let God dictate what he means with his Bible. A lot of people, oh, there are a lot of different interpretations. There are no, there's no such thing as a private interpretation of the Bible. There's no such thing. God does not need man to interpret his holy scriptures. It doesn't matter if you went to UCL, and I love UCL. Doesn't matter if you went to Oxford, and I love Oxford. Doesn't matter if you went to MIT in America. Doesn't matter what university you went to. Doesn't matter what degree you were given. You do not need to interpret God's word for him. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need our help. It's the opposite. We need his help. We need God's help. And so there is no private interpretation of the scriptures. We just let the Bible says what it says. And of course, I remember talking to a man. He goes, well, you know, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. I go, that's wrong. He goes, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Right, Mike? I go, that's wrong. I said, the Bible says it. You got to believe it. That settles it, whether you believe it or not. Doesn't matter if you don't. You know, it's not the things that you can't understand in the Bible that make you struggle. It's the things you can't understand. You know, I'll be like, what is Revelation? No, 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 no. Let's go to this one right here. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. You understand that? Well, in what sense do you mean? No, it's the stuff. You see what I mean? It's the stuff that we understand. That's the stuff that, that, that's that gets us right there. It's not the stuff that, he, that, that that's all symbolic. But he, he, he explains it simply so that people can understand. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor. See, Nehemiah's the governor at this stage. Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I mean, there were certain individuals that said, we've totally fallen away. I'm going to hell right now. I don't need a preacher to tell me. I don't need my family, friends. I don't need to do a Bible study. If you looked at the videotape of how I've been living my life, and I put it in your, and just look at that, I, I would, I, I would, I'd want to delete a few scenes. I'm, 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 and there were literally Israelites, disciples that were like, I'm not a disciple. You know, sometimes we forget that judgment begins with the family of believers, the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. It didn't begin with everyone out. It begins with with the church. And so there were some that were so cut because although they had come to the temple, they had come around, they were not right with God. And then Nehemiah in verse 10 says this. Go, enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, 
and send some of those to who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And a church said, Amen. I mean, he just says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Is that where you get your strength from? From God. You know, this is such an, uh, an incredible, incredible account. And I love the way Nehemiah breaks it down. He tells him, don't you mourn. You know, if you are not a disciple, you should not be fired up. You should not be rejoicing. You should be mourning. But then your mourning has got to lead to repentance. Godly sorrow. And then you become a disciple. Then you, then you rejoice. Are you, are you with me here? If you're a disciple, you should not be mourning. Because you're a disciple. Unless something has stolen your joy. And joy, you know, we can go on about joy. I just think about it. You know, joy isn't necessarily something. It's someone. It's Jesus. My joy is someone. It's not even me. My joy is God. He's inside of me. He's inside of me. And I want to protect that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Right down in my heart. Hey, down in my I've got a joy. I mean, do you have a joy, joy, joy in your heart? Or you got a burden, burden, burden? Struggle, struggle, struggle. Anger, 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 anger down in my heart. Critical, 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 critical down in my heart. You know, living in London, it's awesome. But, you know, I just, I realize the longer I'm living here, it's just, it's, it's cool to be critical and negative and pessimistic. And that, that scene is clever. And you come up with a real cool way to say it. And it's just, it's just, I don't like being negative. It doesn't help you. You know, he, Nehemiah just told guys, the, the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I just, I mean, this had to be a Bible. This had to be a church that just loved the word of God. They stood for six hours and there was no criticism. There was no complaining. There was none of that. They were on fire for God. Now, I don't know if you've heard, there's a a term that's actually been kind of coined in Christianity called sermon tasters. And, you know, that, that I've heard it in the United States before, uh, and I've, I've heard it over here, sermon tasters. These are just quick little, little sermons to give you a little taste. You know what I mean? A little taste of God, right? That little sermon, sermon taster. I said, where, where did that come from? It's kind of cool, but it really means you don't get a, a real good full meal. You don't get the word of God preached. And I started researching, and I, and I found out that it, it, there, there were came from the 1800s and basically what would happen is there was this incredible preacher who would preach to crowds of 5,000 people and he'd be laying it out and going on for hours and hours and people would stand and listen to the word of God well there was another preacher who was pretty good and then there was another preacher who was pretty good so all the rich of that particular city would go from church to church trying to find out who had the best and they'd just get a little taste they get a little taste and, and, they, and then they just sit around talking about who had the best speech really could care less about what was said and so what was coined, the term, the term sermon tasters was coined. And of course, you know where that term came from. London. Not England. London. See, London and England, two different countries. London. Because it became real cool to kind of just want a taste of the word of God and not the real thing. I pray that's not you today. 
You don't just want a sermon taster. You're not just waiting for the lesson to get over so you get your kebab sandwich, you can go go to sleep, watch a football match, you do whatever you do after church right there. We, we got to be the people of God and let nothing steal our joy. Are you with me here? Yeah. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Turn to t- uh, chapter 9. I love Nehemiah's heart. He says he's just always going after joy in the church. You guys need to rejoice. You need to be fired on up. You know, I I started thinking about what's taught in the world nowadays. There are a lot of things that are taught that are not necessarily the Bible. And when you look at the world, I I think we've gotten away from having a biblical worldview. We, have, we view the world from the eyes of God. We view, we view the world from the eyes of being a disciple. And we have a Christian worldview. Where, where what, what the Bible says, it, it, it colors everything that we do, what we believe. It colors how everything. Being a disciple is not just at church. It, it, should, it should affect every aspect of your life. And I started thinking about the different isms that are taught out there. Materialism. That one's taught. We know in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, it says those who want to get rich fall into temptation and into the trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plague people and ruin them to destruction. And I think materialism has gripped society. People don't want to talk about the two isms that God wants to talk about. And the only two isms that God cares about, baptism, evangelism. Are you with me here? Those are the ones, those are the isms that God has fired up. You talk about baptism, God's fired up about that. You talk about evangelism. But the world's fired up about materialism. That's where they get their joy. By what they have. Or what they don't have. And materialism can be where you get your joy. I mean, you got day. I mean, I think it's a warning. God is even trying to warn us. Black Friday. (laughs) And it's creeped on. It was in America. Now it's creeped on over here. I remember we had Black Friday in London. Everybody's like fighting to get a TV. It's not like, I mean, where's the scripture that says you can get into heaven with a good TV? Everybody's trying to get a discount. Sometimes that's how people look for a church. They go looking for a discount. How can I get the where can I get some some real good cheap salvation? Where can I get Jesus at a discount? Where can I get my commitment at the lowest possible cost? Where can I give the least amount of my finances? Where is it least controversial? Where is it most most smooth? Where 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 are the girls at? Well, pretty girl, pretty guy. Where, where, where can I get married real quick? I want Jesus at a discount. I want to discount the blood of Jesus. Jesus gave his blood for us. He didn't discount you. He gave blood for you. And yet we, we've got to give our all and not discount. We, 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 you know, materialism, it seeped into the society that we live in. Hedonism. That's the love of pleasure. The love of, of just comfort. I saw a magazine as I was going through uh, Warren Street called Escapism. I said, like, well, okay. And I opened it up and there's all these, you can just go and just travel and just escape reality and pretend you're not in sin. You can't escape sin. You got to repent of it. Hedonism. Just the pleasure, the love of pleasure, getting your joy from pleasure. Hedonism creeps its way into, of course, there's a lot of hedonism when it comes to sexual immorality. A lot of people, that's where they get their joy. Sadly, I was one. I got my joy from how many relationships I could be be with. 
And it was an embarrassing, embarrassing level of discipling I got from God. Seeing seeing myself again and again in a clinic. Going, doctor, do do I have something this time? Doctor, do I have something? Because I got my joy from hedonism. Secularism. Just the world. Just loving the world. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 says don't love the world. Anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. I believe the world is being secularized. Where God is playing a smaller and smaller role in schools. In learning institutions. God is not really... It's not the world view. Get God out of here. You know, a recent Gallup poll said the two most godless countries... Two most godless countries. Number one, Japan. Where godlessness is just, it's just, they do not want to just get God out of here. You know what the numbers, the second one was? The UK. Godlessness. Secularism. You know what else is taught out there? Rationalism. You need to be rational. It needs to make sense to man. Before the age of enlightenment, 500 years, we get go back during this time here. But even, even after that, 500 years, 500, just simply 500 years ago, if you were in Northern Europe, you, you, you got your truth from where the Bible says truth is derived. John chapter 17, verse 17 says the word of God is truth. So if you're Protestant, I don't want to get into a Protestant thing or debate here, but you know, if you're from northern part of Europe and you're Protestant, then you got truth from most likely the scriptures. That's where you saw truth. If you're from the southern part of Europe, you probably say the church, but it still had its same meeting point, which was God. Truth was derived at God. But then after the age of enlightenment, when we got so smart and we got so enlightened, we began saying, no, 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 it needs to be right. Rationalism began infiltrating the world. And you had people that started to say simple things like, hey, if it does not make sense to the human mind, it must not be true. And they get their joy from being rationalist. It's not rational to give up everything, go everywhere, do anything. For for who? Jesus? Who died on a cross? I don't believe it. Doesn't, doesn't match my mind. You go through the Bible, a lot of it doesn't match. The fact that he would, Jesus would send his son to die for sinful, wicked people like us, who are arrogant, proud, deceitful, sinful. We are, I know I'm arrogant, proud, deceitful, uh, bitter, messed up. And if you guys are half as bad as me, you're pretty messed up. Because I know I messed up. I'm here not because I'm awesome. I'm here because I need God. And Jesus is my strength. God is my strength. And I don't want to be rational about it. I want to be spiritual about it. Relativism. Truth is not truth is relative. It just depends. There's no, exactly, there's no absolute truth. And you know what that, you know, when the world says that there's no absolute truth, you know what the world is saying? There are no absolute lies. There are absolute lies. And there is absolute truth. The absolute truth is the word of God. It is the Holy Bible. Don't let anyone steal that joy from you. Don't let any, don't you let you steal it from you. Are you with me here? Pluralism. That's out there. Oh, yeah. Well, 
uh, there's just one God and we all come together and how you get to God is that it doesn't matter Hinduism, Evangelism, Mormon it, just as long as we worship one God and they just call it, you call it what you want I always say well you know you can't get on one train and go to, all two lines don't hit to Oxford can't get on the northern line and hit to Oxford I'm going to be going for a long time I got to get on the right line to get to the right destination. And if you do not get with God, you are not on your way to heaven. And God is Jesus Christ. Are you with me here? Lastly, well, I don't want to go into all the other isms. I want to persuade you to make sure the Bible is your standard. I want to persuade you. Like the people here in Nehemiah's day, they just said, listen, we, we, we care about evangelism. We care about building the walls. We care about the word of God. We don't care about all the other things that are out there that are taught. And so they became people that got their joy from the scriptures. But yet, we've got to ask ourselves today, what what steals our joy? And find out what stole some of their joy. Chapter 9, you guys still with me? Verse 1. 24th day of the same month. Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth, having dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves. From all the foreigners, they stood in their places and confessed their sins. I mean, right there, it tells you what steals joy. Sin. So they stood in the places, confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping their Lord. Standing on the stage. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, they're getting open, they're getting open, and they cry, and they get fired up, and they're ready to go. And then somebody else gets open. Oh, no, I did that too. Oh, they get open again. You ever done that? Yeah. You ever heard somebody else confess their sins, and you go, oh, no, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> you go, okay, yeah, I did that too. And, and yet that's, all, that's what makes us all the same. Yeah. I mean, the playing ground is equal at the foot of the cross, isn't it? Yeah. Verse 5. All right, let's pick it up in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, the prayer. After he goes through these names, he says this. He says, blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. Verse 6, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all the starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in it. You give life to everything. And the multitude of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God. He says, Ma, it doesn't matter about any other God. Only Jesus. Only Jehovah God. Who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. And you made a covenant with him. To give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Jebusites, Jerkishites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. I mean, he says, the, he says, you saw how arrogant the Egyptians treated them. Now, we, we understand this is a time when God's people had been exiled. Okay? And so they had been exiled to where? Babylon. Okay? And so he simply says, he says, the Egyptians treated you arrogantly. 
And I thought about that. You know, one of the you know what steals your joy? What can steal your joy? So let me just keep it simple here. You know, James Morgan gave me a Bible to use today. I see myself as a child of God. So he gave me the Bible. He said, bro, I'm going to give you this Bible. This Bible is called A Holy Bible for African American Children. <laughs> Thank you, Father. I, I thought I was a little older, but you just see me as a child of God. Amen. The Lord is very specific, isn't he? And we're all children. <laughs> Egyptians treated them arrogantly. See, when, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, you got to understand, God's people were in Egypt. They were enslaved. So Moses, when he writes the book of Genesis, he has to remind them how awesome God is. Because their joy had been stolen by the people. They were ticked off. They were in Egypt. They forgot they were in sin. But their joy had been stolen. So Moses goes, oh, hold on, got something. In the beginning, God created the heavens. It was good. God created the water. It was good. God created everything. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was all good in the beginning, guys. The reason it's not all good is because you're in sin. Yes. That's why it's not all good. And, 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 and the enemies are oppressing you. They're the people that I'm using to help you come back to me. People can steal your joy. Come on, Mike. What they are, what they say, what they do. One of the areas that as a Christian you've got to always protect is your joy. You've got to keep your joy levels high. You, 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 you gotta, you got to maintain. And joy is not the absence of suffering. Joy, joy is the understanding that God is with you through it. That's joy. It's not being fake and saying there are no challenges. But it's knowing that your God is with you and your God is your strength. But people can steal your joy. People, you ever done that one? You ever come to church and you're fired up and then there's that one person. And, and you see him. And you do everything not to fellowship him. You kind of go over here and you pretend, you know. And you go, hey, bro. You go there. And you go, oh, it's the sister. And you see him. Yeah. For the sister. Hey, sis. And there's something going on. People can steal your joy. What they say, what they do. Try getting on the train about 5 o'clock in London, England. Man, you could, you could get ticked off. You could get angry. You could get frustrated. But as a Christian, you got to let nothing steal you. Don't let people steal your joy. And they're, they're, they're one of the culprits. People. Now, here's the problem with that. You are a person. So you've stolen someone's joy. You've come to church and been a thief. You're not supposed to be stealing the church. You're not supposed to come. I mean, you got to come to church and give. Part of what you can give is joy. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to be fired up. It's okay to be joyful. The Lord is our strength. Our joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And because there's so much darkness, because there's so much sadness, because there's so much evil out there, we've got to, we got to maintain a joyful people. Be a joyful people. This is an area I'm just so, I I have deep convictions of God to protect my joy. And when my joy is waning, when people are stealing my joy, I become man focused instead of God focused. The Egypt, the Israelites, they got man focused. They, they were like, oh, these Egyptians, they're oppressing us. No, no. They didn't go, wow, our sin is oppressing us. They saw people. 
People are something that can steal your joy. You guys still with me here? Check this one out. Verse 18. It says, even when they cast for themselves an image of calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. We'll stop right there. God gave the Israelites gold. Those who know your Old Testament, you know, they made, they took that gold, they made it a what? A calf. They took the blessings of God and made it an idol. And they misunderstood God. They, they go, okay, what God has given me, what God gives you isn't to be worshipped. It's to be received with thanksgiving. But what they, they misunderstood God. They, they took his blessings and turned his blessings into an idol. And that's never God's plan. God doesn't want to bless you with a marriage and then you start idolizing your wife. God doesn't want to bless you with a wife and you start idolizing your wife. Or I mean, the opposite. Husband. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Misunderstanding. That's the point. Misunderstandings. Those can steal your joy. They misunderstood God. They said, okay, we're going to get some gold. Awesome. Let's, let's worship it. No. You worship God who gave it to you. Misunderstandings can steal your joy. One man said this. I saw a man at a beach and he was yelling, help, shark, help, shark. I laughed to myself because I knew the shark wasn't going to help him. <laughs> Misunderstanding. One man said, my new girlfriend just found out that I am 42. She said, you told me you were 28 and a half. I said, well, you can think about it. 28 and a half. Think about it. 28 and a half. tell the next one. Misunderstandings. They can steal your joy. You ever been misunderstood? You ever misunderstood God? God, you're trying to destroy me. No, I'm trying to get your attention. God, you're trying to kill me. No, I'm trying to get you to have a quiet time. You don't love me. You took everything from me. I'm trying to get you to see that I'm all you need. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not giving me what I want. Yes, I, you're not answering me, God. Yes, I have. It's no. I haven't received an answer from God. God's like, I've been telling you for a while. No. Give me a boyfriend. No. You don't need a boyfriend right now. You need me. Yep. Right now. I'll give you one. But don't, because I know you're going to take a turn into a golden calf. You don't need a wife right now. First of all, you need to get a job. Amen. You shouldn't be thinking about asking any sister to get married. You don't got a job. That's biblical. Genesis chapter 2. Adam had a job. He was working in the garden. He had a, he had a job before he thought, I'm getting engaged. What are you talking about getting engaged? You, you're engaged. You got you to follow. You got to get a job so you can work. You know, some, I think some disciples, I just, we are family. Can, can, you know, if I say some things, I, I, I'm preaching to myself as I'm preaching to you. But but I, I got Can I just be honest with you? It may, it may, this may hurt a little bit. It may sting a little bit. Can I can I can I lay it out though? And this is just my. You know, I think we, we got to be careful that. And this is for for us in the singles ministry, campus ministry. We got to be careful that we really want to be husbands. Godly husbands and godly wives. That's a great ambition. Amen. 
That's amazing. You want to be a godly husband, a godly wife, you're, be, you're to be committed. You're special, actually. But some, some disciples, and I, I've never heard anyone that got the guts to say it, but I knew it, it was in my heart. Some disciples want to date because they just want to have physical intimacy. That's why you want to date. That's, that's why you, you, you don't want to be that sister's uh, husband. You want to be with her. You don't want to be that brother's wife. You just want to be with him. That, that's all you want. You don't want the intimacy with God. You just want the intimacy with another man. And there's nothing wrong with wanting intimacy, but there's something wrong if you want that. Why do you want God? There's something wrong with that part of it. They misunderstood God. They turned the blessings into a golden calf. If, you're, if, you're, if, if, if this hits your heart, don't misunderstand God. He doesn't want you to turn the blessing of a godly wife, the blessing of a godly husband into an idol. It will steal your joy. You'll get married. You'll find out, oh my goodness, she's a sinner just like me. Can I go back in the singles ministry? Nope, too late. You're like you're like Jonathan and Ellie. I mean, Jonathan and Ellie, they they crank right there. You know, they they they, they're an incredible example right there. These are radical disciples. You know, Ellie. You know, I I love Ellie. She she she. You know, she's she's just so English. You know, and you know Jonathan. His Facebook post. You need to get reconverted. You if you read that thing too long. So many scriptures are so convicting right there. But what I love about them is they put their. They were engaged to be married. They, in the world, as quote-unquote religious people, were being pure, decided, listen, wait a minute, we're not true disciples. We're going to put the relationship on hold, get right with God, get close to God, and even consider it may not be God's will for us to be together. After being engaged, the guy gave it all up. God goes, that's a heart of gold. That's a heart of gold. They need each other. They came, they dated, they got married, and they're sitting right on over there. They're fired up in the Lord. I love those guys. Let us not misunderstand God. Misunderstandings will steal your joy. Look at the videos on road rage. People just ticked off. They misunderstand. You went that way. That, way. that can happen in the kingdom. Misunderstandings. Verse 26. It says, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. you put, they put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. We know what they, they put. So they cranked under Joshua. They did amazing under Joshua's leadership. Everybody's fired up. And then as soon as Joshua dies, they just, they fall apart. And then you have the whole account of the book of Judges. The word of judge means leader. Soon as there's no leader around watching them, they went they just started grumbling, complaining, all this stuff. You see it in the heart of Exodus chapter 16. We talked about it last week. How that was a problem for the Israelites. Grumbling and complaining. And being critical, being mad at the messenger instead of seeing the message. And yet this is something that can steal your joy. It's still on my joy at times. Where I've gotten man focused at the message. The, 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 the individual in my life tells me something. And I, and I put the prophet to death. And I get mad at them. And I, why are you telling me this? And it's you. You guys. No, it's the Holy Bible. It's not, you know, and so grumbling, criticism. This can steal your, your joy. But most importantly, verse 28 simply just says, 
But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. So God blessed them, fixed them up, and then as soon as they're at rest, okay, it's time to go back to my sins. (laughs) Legalism. They became legalistic. Uh Uh-oh, I know God is disciplining me because I'm in sin. I'm going to get out of sin so I get some peace. But then when I get the peace, I'm going to go back to my sin. Using God instead of worshiping God. Right? That's what the Israelites did. Using God will not get you joy. Worshiping him will. But if you just use him to get you out of a tough situation and you want to go back to it, that, 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 that will steal your joy. These are some things that can steal your joy. Chapter 10. You guys still with me here? The joy of giving. The joy of giving. The people agree. They go, okay, we're going to change. We're going to repent. We're going to get right with the Lord right there. And then in verse 36, it's laid out here. Nehemiah says, as it's also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle, of our herds, of our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storeroom, to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priest, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of our fruit, of all our trees, new wine oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron, is a company of Levites, when they received the tithe. You had two people checking the finances right there. Amen? And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storeroom of our treasury. The people of, including the Levites, are to be bringing bring their, their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storeroom where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We will not neglect the house of our God. Isn't that awesome? There was a joy in giving. Winston Churchill said this. We make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. I want to lift up the London International Christian Church. One of the weaknesses we've had in the church is the giving. There have been many brothers, sisters that give sporadically. And let me tell you something, with Victor Como, and I really believe God shows your, 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 the fruits of your leadership. Uh, through, through, with Victor Como and Ola Kukoyi and, and the individuals we've had in charge of the finances within the church, uh, it's been awesome seeing how we as a church have been getting way more consistent with our giving, less people missing, less people using it as an excuse, more brothers and sisters seeing the joy in give. I want to commend you. I want to lift you up for making sure we do not neglect the house of our God. Chapter 11. The joy of moving. You guys still fired up? Yeah. You fired up to move? Yeah. Let's find out. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 11. <laughs> now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem and the rest of the people 
cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. See, you got to realize, after the, the temple was fixed on up, then they had the walls, but there was nobody in it. <laughs> you kind of need a church, right? <laughs> look at, actually, look at chapter 7. I was studying this, I was like, that is so convicting. In chapter 7, look at this, in verse 1. It says, after the wall had been rebuilt... And I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hannah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to him, the gates of Jerusalem are not, uh, are not to be opened until the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still on duty. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, verse 4, verse 4, I'm sorry. Uh... Lost my place. Have them shut the uh, doors of the bars with them. Also appoint residents over Jerusalem as the as as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the house had not yet been rebuilt. Okay, back over to verse uh, chapter eleven. There, I mean, Nehemiah cranks everything, but there were no. You kind of need some people. After he gets the temple and the the walls, he he actually had to call people to come and be in Jerusalem. He had to call people to come. He had to call people to move. Right? And that's why it says, you know, in verse 2 here, chapter 11, it says, The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? They get commended because they want to go to the busy metropolis of Jerusalem. To help build an incredible worship sanctuary for God. Those who moved were, we know that the total number of Israelites who wound up coming back was 50,000. But there was about 10,000, many commentators believe, that actually moved to be inside the city right there. So that's, that's pretty impressive. I want to commend all the brothers and sisters uh, in the London International Christian Church that have heard the call of God. They see this as a dwelling for God's holy name and they've decided, hey, listen, we need to get down there and become a wall builder and help build the kingdom. I want to commend individuals like Carlos and Carla Vargas who moved all the way from Spain to be here in London to help build the sanctuary. They are to be commended. I want to commend Anita and Renee Vermont who moved all the way over here from Amsterdam. I want to commend Michael and Maria Hart. They're to be commended. They moved all the way from tropical paradise Curacao. I want to commend my, my, my brother and my sister, the fighting Irish right there. Where's Martin Scott at and Teresa? There, there they are. Martin Scott. They came all the way down from Ireland. They're there to be commended. Why? These people that came back to Jerusalem, first of all, you know what people say nowadays? I don't want to live in the city. Expensive. But it's not even that. You know what it is? People are there. They forget they are, they are, they are a people. But see, when, that's, that's when you don't have a Bible mindset. That's when you don't have a Bible worldview. That's when you don't have a ministry mindset. You want to be out of the city. Do you realize the Bible teaches heaven is a holy city. Heaven is not a holy ranch. You know what I mean? Heaven is not like this ranch out in amazing where you get to go clay pigeon shooting like I may get to go with you know Ellie's dad. You know, I mean it's amazing, but that, that's not gonna be heaven where you're just out there by yourself and you know, just just 
village, wow, when village, wow, let's just be away from everybody and just, wow, there's nobody and I can live here in all my selfishness and it's amazing. I've got all this space. You know, that's the American, the American dream. It's the American nightmare, really. Have a big house, live out somewhere, be away from everybody and on your way. On the, you know, that, that was, I, I got sucked into it. I wanted that. And I realized, no, I, I need to be in the city where the people are. I need to be there where, where it's busy, where it challenges my heart. Because that's where people need to know the word of God. We are in London because we are the Israelites. We are the ones. We are the ones called to be here to, 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 to build this incredible sanctuary. And yet we, we can't let the city steal our joy. Some disciples, they, they, oh, let me see. It's too, it's too much. And the city can steal your joy. Now, i got to be honest here. I'm preaching to you as I'm preaching to myself. The city steals your joy sometimes. <laughs> London City is amazing. It's beautiful. But let me tell you something. Sometimes it can steal your joy. You know what I mean? You've been working out. You're feeling good about yourself. You go, okay. I'm feeling all right. I'm all right. I'm going to try to run for the bus this time. Yeah. And you're running. And then you, and then you count the cost. Because you know if you give all your heart to running... There's the ridicule that will come crashing upon you if you don't get there early enough for the bus driver to see you, look you in the eye, wink, say, yes, come on. So you count, but you do it anyway. And you, tell, and you give all your heart, and everyone's watching this derelict preacher run for the bus. And he's giving all his heart, and you get right up there, and the guy looks at you, and he goes, and he drives off. And you go, I have decided. city will steal your joy if you let it we're not here for all the but but the people are here london is so lost it's so lost people get their joy from music their joy from clothing they worship at the idol of primark in spain it's para they worship here, they worship there. And none of these places give true joy. You need to be fired up about this city. I don't get a sense that the disciples that were commended were critical of Jerusalem. They, they were fired up to be there, to be wall builders. They didn't just want to live out in the country and enjoy suburbia. They, they wanted to reach out and, and, and build something powerful. And those are the ones who were commended for it. They were commended for it. Let's bring it in for a close. The last one here, as we close out the book of Nehemiah. I'd love to give you all the insights. Let's get the one that I love the most here in chapter 13. Nehemiah's final reform. Now remember, he was governor. He takes off. The walls get built. Everything gets sorted on out. He takes off. He leaves for about 13 years. And then he comes back. And in that way, Nehemiah is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus has done so much for us. God has done so much for us. I mean, the fact that we're even alive today. And yet there will be a time he's going to come back to his city. He's going to come back and and find out what is going on. Well, that's exactly what happened with Nehemiah. He took off and then he came back and he found out what was going on. After the walls had built, after he sorted everything out. And this is what he finds in verse uh, 15. In those days, I saw men in Judah trading wine presses on the Sabbath. 
and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is supposed to be holy. Right? And yet they're working and they're getting, they're getting these are people that put God, their work over God. He comes back and finds people that are working on the Sabbath, that are putting their job over the kingdom. Right? He comes back and he finds that. I mean, I'm sure God wouldn't come back to London and find people that love their job more than they love the kingdom, they love the church, right? We're quiet on that one right there. Let's keep going. Therefore, I warn them against selling food on that day. Notice he didn't encourage them and say, oh, no. He warns them. It's a sin to do that. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I mean, they're selling things to God's people. Trying to make money off God's people. And he challenges them. He disciples them on that. You see that in the scriptures? You guys see that? You guys with me? Okay, I just want to make sure. Verse 17. I rebuke the nobles of Judah. I said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your forefathers do the same things? So that your God, so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city. Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When the evening shadow fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and the sellers and all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and I said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. I mean, Nehemiah was no wimpy preacher. I mean, he saw brothers and he took them out and put an MMA move on them. Come on. You know? Verse 22. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in, the, in order to keep the Sabbath day. Notice they got to be purified first. Yeah. Order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah. Remember, these are Christians. Judah, that's disciples. Men of Judah who had married women from Ashot. Non-Christians. Amnon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashad or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I asked them to pray about it. No, he didn't ask them to pray about it. I, I, I made them take an oath in God's name. You don't need to have your heart. Now, you need it. Sometimes you need a preacher to get in your life and get on you. You need to take an oath. You need to be an incredible, you need to be an awesome father. I'm not going to encourage you. I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to spiritually pull out your hair. You see what I mean? That's what we need as men sometimes. We want our sisters to have awesome hair right there. Amen, sisters? You guys can do he says he beats up the man. He didn't pull out the sister's hair right there. That wouldn't be very encouraging. Though. The guy's yours is going anyway. Don't worry about it. You might as well pull it out. I mean, I keep shaving mine off, but this morning I went up and it, it was a quicker job. I got up and I was like, shoot, shoot. It's, it's time to go to church. <laughs> it's a lot gone. 
Bible just says, I made them take an oath. You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? He says, Solomon, the wisest guy in the Bible, did not make it to heaven because who he married. Who you marry determines where you end up. Choose wisely. Choose spiritually. Was it not because of marriages like that that Solomon sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Jodiah, son of Elashvi, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Hornite. And I drove him away from me. I mean, you got this persecutor hanging around the fellowship, just hanging out. He's been called not to come, but he's hanging out. So he says, bro, I'm sorry, you can't come to church. He gets driven out of the church. Verse 29. Remember them, oh God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood. So I purified the priests, the Levites, and everything foreign, and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provisions for contributions of wood, designated times, and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor. Oh my God. That's how he ends it. Isn't that pretty cool? Nehemiah comes back 13 years later after seeing everything and has to deal with sin. But I think he was fired up about it. This is, remember we are with favor, oh my God. The joy of dealing with sin. It's awesome to deal with sin. It's awesome to deal with sin in your own life. Even the world believes in it. Everybody makes their oath at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I'm going to lose weight. And, I'm, and they get all excited about it. And they fall away from their oath that they make in February. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to this. And they do all of these. They make these oaths. They get excited about it. You know, we need to be excited about dealing with sin. Come on. Not depressed, not scared, but excited about it. Just fired up to go after it, to deal with sin. Not to be down on people, but to deal with the sins. Not only in our own lives, but in our brothers and sisters. And we need to be excited about doing this. Just going after these areas. And making sure that we are strong in the Lord. Making sure that we are right with God. Now, this account talks about disciples marrying non-Christians. I'm sure we do not need to go into that one. If you are a Christian... You are to marry Christians. You are to marry disciples. You, 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 th- this is a very simple... Now, we, we, we sadly have had individuals, or, or at least an individual, who, who pretended to be a disciple at the same time that they had foreign relationships and they were messing around with individuals that were non-Christians. Now, if somebody wants to do that, they want to be a Christian, that's their decision. Let me tell you something. God loves everybody. His love is unconditional. He doesn't go, well, you know, I think I love them, those who are from the Muslim faith. Mm, I think, no, no, no. God loves everybody. His love is unconditional. He doesn't go, well, you know, they're Christians. They meet at Porchester Hall. I kind of love them more. No. He loves everybody. But a relationship with him is very conditional. His love is unconditional. But a relationship with him is very conditional. You know, my wife, she loves everybody here. She loves all you guys. But there's only one that's got the relationship. Amen? See, that's our God. That's our God. He, he's, he's a jealous God. 
He's a jealous guy. Now, I know that won't rock anybody. It's a sad thing when someone does that and they decide to be dishonest and they mess around with non-Christians and, 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 and have these relationships and, and, and these things come on out. Um, but our goal is to win as many as possible. Uh, sadly, uh, that was an area of my life where I almost lost my faith as a young Christian. I almost got pulled into individuals outside of the church that wanted to be in relationship with me. I even sinned uh, a little bit. Uh, in these areas, and thank God uh, that the, the Christians put me back together. They warned me, they rebuked me, and I'm, I'm grateful because then God gave me an incredible woman of God to do the ministry and to help build an incredible sanctuary for God's glory. This account is very powerful because it has something that I want this church to begin to develop. In verse 8 of chapter 13, after we read all the sin that got dealt with, the Bible just says, I was greatly displeased and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the room and then I put back into, the, put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. He says, I was greatly displeased. Nehemiah had a righteous anger. I want to challenge you to get ticked off at sin. We got to start getting ticked off. Ticked off? Do, can you say that in London? Do they say ticked off in London? Ellie, do they say ticked off? What, what do they say? What, what's a better word? Cheesed. Is that, is that good? Is that a bad word? I didn't say it, did I? Is that, is that a good one? Is that a good one? Cheesed, is that one? Cheesed off? Okay, having a go at your sin or something. You can do that one, right? Get angry at your sin. Get mad. Some of us, the reason why you're struggling with sin is because you don't get mad at it. Some of your Bible talks, they're unfruitful because you aren't ticked off. Come on. You don't, you're not baptizing anyone. You're not converting anyone. It's just because you're not mad about it. You've got to get greatly displeased and go, God, help us help people. Help me first. I know the problem is me. See, if you start there, if you go, okay, God says, you'll bear much fruit if you remain in me. Okay, so God doesn't have a problem. That means I got a problem. So now we know the problems I'm with God. Now I know they got a problem. See, it's the cool thing is when you know you got the issue, you can change you. You can't change other people, but you can change yourself. We've got to get righteous anger in the church and start having a joy in dealing with sin. Not a depression, not a sadness, and not running from it. This is what made Nehemiah special. He came back after all the work he did and got right back after it. And said, remember me with favor, oh my God. Because he loved God and he loved God's people. Let's have a righteous... I want to challenge you today. What has stolen your joy? If you're a campus student, if you're a teenager, your family, your parents, whatever... Your parents can steal your joy. You go, okay, my parents don't do this and that. No, no. Get your joy from the Lord. Come on. You're in the ministry. Don't Don't let the ministry steal your joy. You're here for the first time. Maybe you've never experienced true joy. You, you, you can have joy with God today. You can study God's word. You can become a true. Your life can have meaning. All the suffering, everything you've gone through can have purpose. If you all but call on Jesus and decide to walk with him. I love you. To God be all the glory.
We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.